Good evening. It's so good to be back with everyone. If you'll open up your Bible to 2 Kings 18. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 8. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. And when he reigned 29 years in, in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his, da- his father David had done. He removed the high he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke the pieces of the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called the Nushirtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so God so that there was none like him of all the kings of Judah after him nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza to the, and its territory, from the watchtower to fortified city name of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be here physically with you. It's so good to not have to preach to the walls of the office. You have no idea how good that feels. I want to thank you so much for blessing Kim and I over the last few weeks as we've gone to try to refresh our souls and seek the Lord. Your love for us means a lot to us. I want to thank Pastor Kevin and Dave and Craig and Vicki and others who helped us see that it would be wiser for us to leave sooner rather than later. And while the last six or seven weeks have been pretty hard for our family, all the, the last week and a half has actually uh, been a nice uh, time of catching our breath here, but uh, most of the time we were gone was actually a pretty hard time. But the Lord met us right where we were, and he ministered to our needs. And what I would tell you is that I'm definitely refreshed enough to re-engage in ministry, so I'm really glad to be back with you. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you, and I'm very, very thankful to God for all of you. I also want to say a quick word of thanks to Living Waters Church. This is my first Sunday here worshiping as a church. Dave has been a good friend of mine, the pastor here for a lot of years, and the staff here have been friends of mine. I'm very grateful to God for them. I'm grateful for their kindness to us. You know, they're giving us the space free of charge, which is basically $1,500 or so a month gift. Uh, We'll definitely bless them in some way, shape, or form, but I just hope you see the kindness that they are showering on, on us now, and I hope that you'll pray for this church. So with that, let me take a minute and uh, pray for our time in the Word here, and then we'll get right into what God has put on my heart for the evening. Our God and Father, I thank you with all of my heart for who you are and for what you have done for your people. 
Father, I thank you for sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live a righteous life and to die a horrific death on the cross, to be raised from the dead three days later, to minister to your people for 40 days, to be ascended from this earth, to be enthroned at the right hand of God where he rules and reigns both now and forevermore. I thank you for what you have done for us, Father. I thank you that whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ will never perish but have everlasting life. I thank you that whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ, for them all the greatest issues of life are settled. And even though they're suffering here on this earth, that suffering will last only but a breath in comparison to the uh, eternity of joy and blessing that will belong to all of us in Jesus. Lord, I'm so grateful for your constant presence with us in times of victory, in times of defeat, in times of success, in times of failure, in times of joy, in times of suffering. Father, you are a good God. You are a great Father, and we praise your holy name. I pray now, Lord, that as we go to your word, that you would help me as I preach. I pray that you would help all of us as we listen to the word. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, that you would speak most powerfully to your people. And for how you will stir among us now, and how you will work in us now, I thank you with all of my heart. In the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, as I have been seeking the Lord over the last several weeks, he has graciously and pretty deeply ministered to me, and he has taught me a number of things with fresh depth of insight about what it means to suffer by faith. What I mean is that the Lord has taught me more in these days about what it means to suffer and truly, from the depths of the heart, believe in the gospel. He's taught me more about what it means to suffer and to truly trust him day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, situation by situation. There's nothing that I, I, I don't think anyways, there's anything that the Lord has taught me over the last few weeks or that I'm going to share with you in the coming weeks that I haven't known before. But as we walk with the Lord, he often teaches us things we already know, but with new depth of insight, with new uh, senses of reality. And that's what's happened to me over the last few weeks. And in fact, the things that the Lord has ministered into my life have so profoundly gripped my heart that I have decided to pause our time in Revelation for just a little bit longer and share these things with you in a little mini-series on suffering. If you look there in the inside of your bulletins on the left side, you'll see a quick outline of the series. I want to talk with you about six subjects. Suffering and singing, by which I mean suffering and praise. Next week, I want to talk with you about suffering and sinning and our propensity to walk away from the Lord instead of toward the Lord in times of suffering and how we can face that down. Then I want to talk with you about suffering and submitting, listening to the words of the Lord and obeying Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Then I want to talk about suffering and sorrowing, by which I mean lament, and then suffering and sharing the burdens of our hearts with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, I want to talk with you about suffering and serving others, even in the midst of our own suffering. You'll notice in your bulletins that I've not only provided you there with the titles, but I've provided you at least with the main text for each sermon. And I want to encourage you to note that, to either pull that part of your bulletin out or take a picture of it or something, because I really want to ask you to study those main scriptures each week as we're moving toward our Saturday services or next week our Sunday service, so that by the time you come to church, you're truly here, uh, uh, ready to hear not so much what I have to say but you're truly ready to hear what the Spirit might have to say to you about your seasons of suffering, past, present, or future. The bottom line is this, beloved. Even though in the midst of uh, so many difficulties, it's sometimes very hard to see, but the bottom line is that seasons of suffering are actually seasons of opportunity. 
And I think that's a, a saying, it's a truth that we need to blaze into our minds. A season of suffering is a season of opportunity. For example, season of suffering gives us the opportunity to grow in actual faith, to grow in actually believing the gospel and actually trusting the Lord. I think most of us do at some level trust the Lord, but when the fires are hot and the chips are down, when everything's at stake, then you learn what you really believe in. Then you learn who you're really trusting in. Then you learn the true reality of your walk with the Lord. And if you will pay attention and allow the Spirit to work in your life, a season of suffering is a season of great opportunity to grow in faith. Seasons of suffering are great opportunities for us to unearth our sins because the fire of affliction often brings all the junk of our lives up to the surface. And you can just see the reality of, the, of what remains of the ugliness of your heart. Uh, of course, in Christ, the Lord has made us beautiful. He has showered us with grace and made us holy. We are his saints. We are his children. In his sight, we're beautiful. But there's still ugliness inside of here. And often the furnace of suffering brings it to the fore. And so we can see it and we can say it. We can confess it. We can pray for grace. We can ask for forgiveness. We can pray for power to walk away from it. We can identify our idols and join people like Hezekiah in destroying them. Seasons of suffering, beloved, are seasons of opportunity. Seasons of suffering present us with an opportunity to put first things first, to love God first, to, to love him most, to put the thanks of his name and the praise of his name and praying to his name and being saturated in his word in a, a place of utmost importance in our lives. Suffering allows us the opportunity to reorganize our priorities and to put what is truly important in first place. Seasons of suffering provide us with opportunities to serve in the power of the Spirit. Of course, we ought always to serve others in the power of the Spirit, but the truth of the matter is that we often serve the Lord, at least in part in our flesh. Sometimes we take what is natural to us and serve the Lord with that. But when you're suffering... And when you're suffering severely, all that gets drained away, does it not? When you're suffering and you're suffering severely, all of your normal and natural energies are often drained and dissipated into other places and you don't have anything to give. And if you're going to learn to still serve others as a kingdom in this world, a kingdom of priests in this world, then you're going to have to do so by the power of the Spirit. A season of suffering will allow you the opportunity to do that. It will give you experiences where you'll walk into even something as simple as a cub foods and God will use you to bless somebody's life and you'll walk out of there going, how did that happen? I don't have anything inside me and yet God used me right now. It's a season of opportunity, beloved. It is a season of suffering and I pray that over the next few weeks we'll not only see that but that we'll learn some lessons about the opportunities that are there that will take full advantage of those lessons that will be equipped not only to grow through our own seasons of suffering, but that will also be equipped to help one another as each of us walk through seasons of suffering. I'm hoping by the end of this series to take all my messages and turn them into a little booklet. It'll probably take me six or eight months to do that. But I want to ask you to pray for me in that because I, I just really feel burdened to share with others of the grace that God has showered upon me. Even though the last six, seven weeks have been intensely difficult at times, God has met us. He has blessed us. He has spoken to us. And I want to share that with other people. So please be in prayer for our time in the Word and be also in prayer for how the Lord will work in me through this series. For today, I want to talk with you about suffering and singing. 
by which I mean suffering, uh, suffering and praising the Lord as a first priority in life. And I want to do that by meditating with you for just a little bit on the life of Hezekiah. Of all the biblical characters that I read about over the time that I have been gone, Hezekiah is the one who really gripped my heart and who has been the most inspiring to me. God has used his example to minister to me. And so I want to begin tonight by providing you with a little bit of context for his life. Then I want to talk to you about a few things that Hezekiah did to bring radical change into the life of Israel. And then I want to talk with you just for a few minutes about what he did can apply to our life. So let's begin with the context of Hezekiah's reign. Even though King David, some 150 years before Hezekiah, had served the Lord with all of his heart and taught his son Solomon to do the same thing, and even though Solomon began his reign with a heart toward God, And began his reign, I I think, in a way that was uh, exceedingly pleasing to God, so that the God made him, the, the Lord made him prosper like no other king on the face of the earth. The time came when King Solomon was drawn away by the desires of his heart, and he compromised his faith and essentially forsook the Lord. You'll probably remember that this began when Solomon decided to intermarry with foreign women. These were probably political marriages, but one way or the other, the Lord had clearly spoken to his people and told them not to do that. And the primary reason he told them not to do that is because the Lord knew that if they married foreign women, they would soon worship foreign gods. Quickly, an act of uh, national adultery would lead to an, an act of spiritual adultery. And so the Lord forbid this, especially of the kings, especially of the leaders of the nation. But Solomon went in that way. And sure enough, just as God warned, Solomon began to worship other gods, one after another after another. And I want to invite you to really take time at some point in your life to ponder that. Imagine King Solomon, the king of Israel, the offspring of David, the promised child, if you will, the one who built the temple. Just imagine him bowing before the altars of foreign gods and worshiping there and giving offerings. And as if his own personal worship was not evil enough, he also began to build high places. In fact, he built temples to foreign gods on the hills surrounding Jerusalem. So just imagine that. Imagine that you're standing on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and you look up to the hills and you see temples left and right to other gods that Solomon had built. Beloved, his compromise was deep. It was very serious. And it called upon the nation of Israel the hot anger and the discipline of the Lord. In fact, after his reign, you will remember that the Lord caused the kingdom to split in two, north and south, because of Solomon's sin, because of Solomon's unfaithfulness. And that heart of unfaithfulness remained inside the people of God for centuries to come. In the north and in the south, they continued to compromise. In the north and in the south, they continued to worship false gods. In the north and in the south, the Bible says, that they built altars to false gods on every hill, in every town, in every city. At one place, the Bible says, they built an altar under every green tree. I don't know exactly what that means, but I think what it means is that the land of Israel was absolutely infected with the false worship of false gods. The compromise was vast. It went from the top of the society to the bottom of the society. In fact, by the time we get 150 or so years down the road, We come to a guy named King Ahaz who rose to be the king of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. King Ahaz was so compromised that at one point he actually sacrificed one of his sons to a foreign god, killed him, 
as an offering to a foreign god because he was uh, so caught up in the false worship of a false god. God had expressly forbidden his people to do such an act, whether they were the king or the poorest person in the land. But the king had no ear for the Lord because his eyes were turned to other gods. In fact, Ahaz, wanting to get in good with Assyria, the greatest power in the earth at that time, went and had his people study the the altar of the Assyrians. They made it an exact design of the altar. They built an exact replica of that altar. They took the bronze altar that the Lord commanded Israel to build out of the temple of God, and they put this Assyrian temple in the heart of the temple of God. They began to make sacrifices to a foreign god inside the holy temple of God on the temple mount in Jerusalem. Just think about that. The the great holy place that God had designated to manifest his glory to the people of Israel and to the nations of the earth. They turned that in not just to a den of robbers, but into a place of idol worship. It was horrific, beloved. The compromise was exceedingly great. Because the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, He repeatedly sent his prophets to his people to warn them about what was going to come about if they did not turn back, but they would not listen to the Lord. He repeatedly told them, if you will just turn to me now, if you will just confess your sin and humble yourself in my sight, I will forgive all of your sin. I will restore you to myself. I will renew the covenant. I will keep you as my people. And yet they hardened their heart against the Lord and they said, no, thank you truth of the matter is they did not believe in God. They did not value the words of God. They made a mockery of the covenant of God. And in this way, they brought upon themselves the hot discipline of God. They brought upon themselves the righteous wrath of God. Into this profound compromise and severe cultural chaos, Hezekiah was born. In fact, guess who his father was? Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, the one who sacrificed a son to a foreign god and put a foreign altar in the temple of God. He is the father of Hezekiah. But despite all odds, somehow and for some reason, Hezekiah, being only 25 years old when his father died, being only 25 years old when he took over the reins of an entire nation, He decided not to follow in the ways of his father Ahaz, but rather he followed in the way of his forefather David for some reason. Perhaps it was the influence of his mother or of an uncle or of someone in the community. I don't understand why his heart was so strongly turned toward the Lord, but for some reason, by the grace of God, Hezekiah's heart was turned toward God and he served the Lord all the days of his life and kept his commandments all the days of his life. Those are the words of the scripture, not my words. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord by renewing Israel's commitment to the covenant of the Lord, which he had made with them through Abraham and then, uh, of course, later through Moses. And if I can be more specific with you, Hezekiah did four things that transformed Israel, at least for a time, and that are very, very instructive for us in our time. First of all, Hezekiah began by reopening the temple of the Lord. In fact, 2 Kings tells us this was his very first act. When he was installed as king, the first thing he did was open up the temple of the Lord. He repaired the doors of the Lord. I don't know all of what that implies, but what I do know is that that means Hezekiah said, this nation is going to worship the Lord. 
And then he gathered the Levites and instructed them to cleanse the temple from top to bottom, from side to side, and to consecrate it. It took several weeks for this to happen. They thoroughly cleansed the temple. They thoroughly rid it of all false worship. They thoroughly prepared it for the sole worship of the only true God, and they reinstituted worship in the heart of the life of Israel. Beloved, this took great courage. It it took great resolve. This young 25-year-old man feels with the Spirit of God, put praise right in the center of the heart of his people. This is how he responded to a season of severe suffering, of severe chaos, of severe affliction. Next thing he did was he gathered the Levites to himself and he reorganized them. He, re, uh, he caused them all to have to re-register again. They had lost all the registries. Not even all of them could prove their, their genealogical connection to the Levitical tribe, but Hezekiah cleaned all that up. He made sure that the Levites were truly Levites, and he sternly, sternly instructed them to do all that God had commanded them to do. Third thing, once he had established the worship in the temple of God and through the Levitical priests, He reestablished the national worship of the people of God by reinstituting the daily offerings in the temple, by reinstituting 24-hour thanksgiving to God in the temple, by reinstituting the 24-hour praise of God in the temple, singing the Psalms of David, singing the Psalms of Ahaz. He, He reinstituted the keeping of the Passover, which had not been kept in a very long time, and the other feasts of the Lord. In other words, beloved, he looked at the whole nation and said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and as long as I'm king, we're gonna worship the Lord. This was a great, massive, mighty restructuring of not only the the habits of Israel, but the hearts of Israel. And by the grace of God, the people followed along. Hezekiah's heart was for the people to join him in the worship of God. His heart was that they would also render their thanks to God, that they would render their songs to God, that they would bring their offerings to God, that they would get themselves right with God. He changed the structures of the society to capture the hearts of his people. This was his vision for the people of God. Fourth, Hezekiah led the Levites and then the whole nation to break down the high places and the altars in city after city, in town after town, green tree after green tree, house after house. In other words, they went through the country and cleansed it of anti-worship. They went through the country and cleansed it of everything that had been set up in opposition to God. First, he established the true praise of God. That's the right priority. But having established the true praise of God, he removed the false praise of God from the land. Hezekiah was such a young man when he began to reign. It's it's an amazing thing to think about, a 25-year-old man pulling something like this off, even if by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this young man loved the Lord. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart. He clung to the Lord with all of his might by the grace of the Lord, and he did not depart from the commandments of the Lord all the days of his life. Because many in Israel and outside of Israel opposed him, This required great faith. This took great courage. This came with great risk. I'm sure he spent a lot of sleepless nights. I'm sure he was in many conflictual and heated and perhaps even dangerous conversations. But the Lord was with him and so he prospered. And so the nation prospered. And so he and the nation overcame their political and military enemies one by one by the presence and power of the Lord. 
Now, to be sure, Hezekiah and the people of Israel had challenges along the way. It wasn't always easy. I don't want to paint a picture as though Hezekiah came into a very chaotic and difficult situation, cleansed the land, and then everything was just easy from there, because I, I don't think that was the case. I think as Hezekiah began to set up the worship of God, he suffered through the process. And then I know that in the sixth year of his reign, the king of Assyria attacked the north and actually destroyed the north and exiled them to another part of the world. That nation has never come back into existence again, at least not in that form. That great and mighty nation was right on the doorstep of Judah. And I don't know exactly what life was like for Hezekiah during the three years that they were besieging the north. But I'm sure there were plenty of sleepless nights or at least prayer through the nights. I'm sure there were many difficult days, many difficult conversations. But through all of that turmoil, through all of that anxiety, through all that difficulty, Hezekiah turned his heart toward the Lord and sought the Lord Hezekiah said to the people of God, we will seek the Lord in these days. We will seek the Lord in the midst of our suffering. We will seek the Lord in the midst of such danger. We, as a people, will seek the Lord. In the 14th year of his reign, the king of Assyria came back and attacked Judah. He actually succeeded in capturing some of the outlying villages. But Hezekiah went to the temple of God and sought God. He cried out to him. He called upon the prophet Isaiah. They called upon the name of the Lord together. And the Lord answered in a most unusual and powerful way. The Lord himself sent an angel to destroy 185,000 troops of the Assyrians so that the Assyrians retreated and went back home. Judah was the only nation to that point that had, not, had withstood the Assyrians. No one else had been able to withstand them. And when the Assyrians went back home, the sons of the king were so upset with what had transpired that they actually killed the king of Assyria, which from their point of view is just a matter of political intrigue. But the Lord reveals to us that he took his life because the king of Assyria had slandered the Lord, the God of Israel. Hezekiah, in the face of life-risking danger, trusted the Lord. And I just want you to understand that the process of putting praise in the central place was not easy for Hezekiah, but he did it by faith. He knew what it meant to suffer by faith. He knew what it meant to live by faith, to lead by faith, to be a king by faith. When God had delivered them from such a, a great trial, Hezekiah unfortunately struggled with pride and he failed to give God all of the glory that was truly due to his name. And this displeased the Lord so that the Lord actually struck him with an illness and Hezekiah came to the point of death. He thought for sure he was going to die. He was afraid. And so he called upon the name of the Lord and he asked the Lord to forgive him. He asked the Lord to heal him. He asked the Lord to lengthen his life and the Lord spoke to him through the prophet Isaiah and did indeed heal him. The Lord did indeed grant him 15 more years to serve the Lord and to serve the people of God and to serve the purposes of God in the world. When the Lord had delivered him from that stinging trial, uh, Hezekiah wrote a poem that you can read in Isaiah chapter 38. I just want to read for you the, 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 some of the closing words of that poem because I think they're so instructive for our purposes tonight. Hezekiah, reflecting on what he had been through, said this. He said, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Those times of sickness were obviously intensely difficult for him. It's hard for us to be able to rewind the tape and know what it was like for him and his family and his kingdom day by day by day. But I take from words like great bitterness that it was intensely difficult 
He said, though, at the end of the day, looking back, this was for my welfare. God used it for my good. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you, O Lord, have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all of my sins behind your back. And then he writes, the Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. In response to the grace of God, we together will give thanks to God. We will sing the praise of God in the very house of God that by the grace of God we have cleansed and reestablished the worship of God in the world. This was the heart's cry of Hezekiah after the Lord had delivered him. But I want you to understand that the ability to, to write a praise like that came from learning what it meant to suffer by faith in the midst of very severe affliction. Hezekiah was born into profound compromise and into a severe cultural chaos. You think our culture is chaotic right now? It's nothing compared to what it was like in the land of Israel in those days. By the grace of God, Hezekiah put God first in the structures and practices of Israel so that God would eventually be first in the hearts of the people of Israel. And I hope you understand the import of what I'm saying. He took hold of the structures and practices of his people and put God first there so that hopefully by the grace of God, God would become first in their hearts. Hezekiah faced his season of suffering by reestablishing the praise of God in the hearts and the habits of the nation. The Lord gave him all of the grace and all of the power he needed to do this. And of course, after he did it, other things followed along after this. But none of those other things that Hezekiah did would have mattered at all if the praise of God was not strongly reestablished in the lives of his people. If you want to face down a season of suffering, you must begin with praise. If you want to face down a season of suffering, whether long or short, you must establish, reestablish, or strengthen the praise of God in your life. More things must follow, but it all begins with praise. As it was in Hezekiah's day, beloved, so it is for us. As it was in his life, so it is in our lives. Whether we're suffering because of widespread global and national issues, or whether we're suffering because of our sin and the sin of others, or whether we're suffering because of unfortunate, the unfortunate realities of living in a fallen world where people get disease and people die and all sorts of unfortunate things happen, or whether we're suffering because of the direct workings of Satan or because of our direct labor for the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter the cause of our present or future suffering, our response, our primary response to it remains exactly the same. We must begin by establishing, reestablishing, or strengthening the praise of God in our lives. Other things must follow after that, of course. But without the praise of God having first place, none of those other things matter. Do they really? Without the praise of God being primary in our lives, none of those other things have life in them. None of those other things will bring us the hope, the healing, the respite, the help that we so desperately need and that we're so longing for. Three generations later, when Hezekiah's great-grandson Josiah was reigning over Judah, the prophet Jeremiah rose up and he said this. He said, I know, O Lord, that the way of a man is not to be found inside of himself. 
That it is not inside of a man who walks to direct his own steps. If a man is to be guided in the proper way, he's not going to find that way by looking inside. And if a man cannot find his way by looking inside, he's not going to also be able to find his way by looking inside others. Self-help is no help at all. Can I get an amen to that? If you're going to find the way, you've got to look to the Lord because the Lord is the way. The Lord is the truth. The Lord is the life. The Lord is our creator. He is our healer. He is our savior. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our hope. Isaiah wrote early in the days of Hezekiah, he said, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm by trusting in the Lord your God, by looking to him, drawing upon him, you will have no strength at all. You will have no firmness at all. If you want healing, you've got to go to the source of healing, right? You want strength, you've got to go to the source of strength. You want hope, you've got to go to the source of hope. Some days when the suffering is so intense it feels impossible to direct our hearts toward God, but that's exactly what our hearts need. Our hearts need to begin with giving thanks to God, with singing praise to God with calling upon God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Even when it seems impossible, the Lord will give us strength. And of course, other things must follow. But without praise being front and center, none of those other things really matter at the end of the day. King David suffered in so many ways in his life. He suffered a number of times, in fact, to the, to the extent where he thought he was going to lose his life. He really probably, in a number of times, should have lost his life. He knew what it meant to suffer by faith. So let me just read for you a couple things that our brother David said. He said, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Not meaning the lack of any speech, but just meaning in peace. I'm going to wait on the Lord for as long as it takes. And as long as it takes, I will thank him. I will praise him. I will pray to him. But I will wait in silence. I will be still inside. I will wait in peace. For from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then he says a couple of other things and comes back and repeats those words again. This is the theme of Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, wait in restfulness, wait in peace, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. He is my mighty rock. He is my refuge. And again, David said, shout to the Lord, O people of God, because praise befits the upright. I mentioned this the last time that I preached to you, virtually preached to you at least. But that word befits there talks about a, a, like a bride who is perfectly dressed for her wedding day. Imagine a bride absolutely gorgeous, adorned in all of her wedding garb, uh, coming forth to marry her husband. That's what the praising people of God look like to God. Praise befits the upright. It looks beautiful upon us. Why? Well, first of all, because we were made to give glory to God, but because it is through praising God that our hearts are directed toward God. And as our hearts are directed toward God, we get filled with hope. We get filled with help. We get filled with strength. Maybe we feel like God has only given us enough strength to take another micro step, but that's all we really need to take anyway. God will give us all that we need. 
And as we look to him, as we call upon his name, as we wait for him alone in silence, he will help us. Beloved, when Hezekiah, when David, when Josiah, when others were facing severe trials, severe persecution, severe suffering, they begin and ended by establishing the praise of God in their lives. And so I want to call on us now to do three things as we draw to a close. I pray that we will hear the call of our Father and learn to give thanks to Him every single day. And let me be a little bit more specific. If you're going through something now or you end up going through something in a little bit and God brings this message back to your heart, if something comes to your mind and comes to your heart and begins to give you anxiety, I want to urge you to give thanks to God for the very thing that's given you anxiety. Give thanks to the Lord. As we give thanks to the Lord, beloved, it does such great things to our hearts. Let me just read for you a couple of scriptures, a few scriptures that call us to this way of life before God. First a few psalms and then a few verses from the New Testament. The psalms say, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving, like it's the thing that you bring to church to offer up to God. And perform your vows to the Most High and call upon Him in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Now that implies that somebody's waiting for the salvation of God. And in the midst of their intense desire for deliverance, God says, give me thanks. Give me thanks. Give me thanks. In his time and in his way, he will then provide the deliverance that is pleasing to him and best for us. And we will praise him. The Psalms again say, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him. How? With thanksgiving. I will magnify the Lord by giving thanks to him. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek the Lord, let this revive your hearts. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Now Philippians, Paul said, the Lord is at hand. He's close to us. He's not far off. He's right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but here's what you ought to do with your anxiety. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving, right? With thanksgiving, Mix the spice of thanksgiving into the prayers of your heart and make your prayers known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts from fear and your minds from doubt in the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established firm in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving, just as you were saved, just as you were taught to overflow with thanksgiving. How is the thanksgiving meter doing in your life? Beloved, amp it up. I want to encourage you to devote yourself this night to being a person who gives thanks to the Lord day by day by day. And if something is stressing you out, if something is hurting you, if something is difficult for you, learn to give thanks to God for whatever you can give thanks to God in that thing and see what the Lord does to your heart. Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Beloved, let us follow Hezekiah 
He instructed the Levites specifically to stand in the temple of God day and night and give thanks to the Lord. Let's follow this example. If you want to suffer by faith, become a person who gives thanks. And as we learn to give thanks to the Lord day by day, I pray that we'll hear the call of our Father and learn to sing the verbal praises of God every day as well. Now, in our culture, we most often use audio uh, devices, audio uh, resources to help us sing, don't we? We'll, we'll put something on, we'll sing along with it. There's nothing wrong with that. I was doing that earlier today. I was doing it right here before the service. I'll probably do it later tonight. But there's something special, there's something sacred about singing to the Lord from our own hearts and with our own voices. I have a little app on my phone. It's just called Hymn Lyrics. It's not a very good app. They clearly don't have the right to publish the best hymns that are out there. But there's enough of them. There's enough that I know that I just pick one every day. And as I'm driving, as I'm showering, as I'm getting ready, as I'm walking down the road, as I'm doing this or I'm doing that, I'll just sing my hymn of the day. And I'll sing it and I'll sing it and I'll sing it to God. There's something sacred about this, the song of God coming off the lips of the people of God without aid. I think the Lord loves the sound of our voices. And I know one thing for me is almost like nothing else. Singing out the praises of God directs my heart toward God. And I just want to encourage you. I want to urge you to hear the call of the Lord to sing to the Lord now from the Psalms and from a couple places in the New Testament. David writes, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. And then again he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, O Lord, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation, implying suffering and deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And again, David writes, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. And now a couple of verses from the New Testament, Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Don't be filled with the spirits of this world, but instead be filled with the Spirit of God. And then what's the very next thing that he says? Be filled with the Spirit of God, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing and making melody to the Lord inside of your hearts. Now, I don't think that Paul means that we should walk up to one another and instead of saying hello, and I don't know, these days I guess we can't shake hands, we touch elbows, we do whatever we're going to do. Maybe, Paul, maybe you think Paul is saying we should just start singing hymns out to each other. I don't think that's the vision he has. I think what Paul is saying is that whatever your heart is singing about, your mouth is going to be speaking about. If your heart has been singing the praise of God, you are most likely to greet your brothers and sisters with the praise of God in some way, shape, or form, with the blessing of God in some way, shape, or form. There is something about the verbal praise of God that just directs, almost forces our hearts toward God. And Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit and let this aroma characterize your lives. Finally, from Colossians chapter 3, a sort of twin text, Paul says, let the word of Christ, let the gospel of Jesus and everything that is associated with it dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And as that happens, as your mind is filled with the word of Christ and your mouth is filled with the wisdom of Christ, then let this happen. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then, of course, whatever you do, in truth or in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, when you establish the verbal praise of God in your life, of course, other things have to follow after that. We're not called as a people to spend every waking minute giving thanks to God and singing the songs of God, but we are called to give thanks. We are called to sing, and then we are called to go out into this world and do all things for the glory of God, continually giving thanks to God. Beloved, hear the call of your father. Hear the example of Hezekiah. If you're stressed out, you're suffering, if you're anxious, if you're wondering what the future looks like for you or your family or your church or the world, start by establishing, reestablishing, or strengthening praise in your life. It all begins there. Without that, the rest is frankly meaningless. Finally, as we learn to give thanks and praise the Lord day by day, I pray that we'll hear the call of our Father and see the example of our brother Hezekiah and that we will join him in identifying and destroying all of the remaining idols in our lives. One of the things I love most about seasons of suffering, as I said earlier, is they tend to reveal what is true in our lives for good or for bad. Some things that have been revealed in Kim and I's life in these months have been incredibly encouraging things. God has led Kim and I through a lot of things. She's known Jesus since she was seven years old. I've known Jesus for 34 years. And the Lord has led us through many, many things. And I testify to you honestly that no matter how intense the last really two years have been for us, but especially the last 10 months have been for us, there has not been a single second when either one of us has said to the Lord, why did you let any of this happen? How could you do this if you're such a good God? I'm not trying to criticize anybody whose heart tends to go there in times of suffering. I'm just telling you that by God's grace, our hearts have not gone there. God has done so much in our lives over the last decades that we just simply trust him, even in the midst of incredibly intense pain. That reality has been revealed and we rejoice in it. But I will tell you, other junk has been revealed in my life too. Remaining sinfulness has been revealed in my life too. Often when we suffer, we tend to revert back to things that we knew when we were young or things that we did before we knew the Lord or fleshly things that we like to do to, to cope with intense suffering. Some of that junk has come out in my life too. I have seen that I have hoped, in part at least, in things in which I should not be hoping. If we'll have eyes to see, beloved, God will unearth our idols. He will give us the grace to destroy them. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray that God will help you see your remaining idols. And when you see them, don't make friends with them. Don't package them up and put them in the closet. Uh, take out some instrument that God gives to you and destroy them. Destroy the idols in your life. Like Hezekiah, establish the true worship of God and then remove the false worship of God from your life. Surely all of us have some of that kind of garbage remaining inside of us and surely the Lord will help us as we go to him. Now, this might be hard for some of you, because it is frankly difficult to face the reality of our sin. Our sin is ugly. Our sin is hard to talk about. Our sin is hard to even confess to the Lord. But I want to encourage you that as great as our sin is, our Savior is greater still. Amen? The grace of God is greater than our sins. 
And if we will simply look to the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world to put all of our sins behind the back of God, if we will simply ask him to help us see our idols and destroy him, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness and cleanse us of all false worship. He will do it in us. He will do it through us if we will simply look to him. So, beloved, today is the day of salvation, and tonight is a a night of choice. Right now is a time of choice. Later, I'm going to talk with you about the need for us to suffer and share. In in other words, for us to to do the kinds of things I'm talking about tonight together. We weren't called by God. We weren't created by God to fight the battle of faith alone. But nobody can make the fundamental decision of faith in our hearts for us. Each of us has to make that fundamental decision. Like Joshua said when he stood before the people of Israel, he said, I put before you blessing and curse, and and now I put before you a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And of course Joshua's heart was that the nation would follow him, and that's my heart for you tonight as well. As for Kim and I, we're going to serve the Lord, no matter how intense the season has been or how intense it might still become. We're going to serve the Lord. By the grace of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a decision we make inside of our hearts. We need your help to be able to follow through on that. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ, but the fundamental decision has to be made here. And so what I'm saying to you tonight is whether you have believed in Jesus Christ before or not, tonight is a night to choose. Will you establish, reestablish, or strengthen the praise of God in your life or not? Much rides on this decision and so i want to encourage you to go before the lord with me now and i want to encourage you to devote yourselves to seek the lord and to pray for the passion of a man like hezekiah to do all that has to be done in your lives would you please bow your heads with me and let me just pray i want to open us up and then i'm going to give you a minute just to share your own hearts with the lord and then i will close us father i thank you for your grace toward us tonight. I thank you for your grace through your word. I thank you for your grace in the life of Hezekiah. I thank you for causing us to dwell upon his life here a little bit uh, tonight, to consider his life together here for a little bit tonight. I thank you for helping us to see afresh the importance of establishing praise in the midst of suffering, and I pray that you would help us now, Lord. I pray that you would help us to devote ourselves to be a people who give thanks to you and who sing praise to you and who destroy the false worship in our lives by faith in you so please help us now and father as we spend just a few moments in silence i pray that you would speak to your people i pray that you would reveal their uh successes to them i pray that you would reveal their idols to them and i pray that you would call each of us to take specific actions and just ask you now just bow your hearts before the lord and just give him a moment to begin to speak to you Our God and Father, I thank you that you are a gracious God and that in Jesus Christ you are for us and not against us. And I pray, Lord, that as we bring our hearts to you, that you would reveal the grace that you have worked into them and that you would reveal the sickness and sin that still remains in them. And I pray that you would work most powerfully in us. O Lord, as individuals and as a church, I pray that you would strongly establish Reestablish or strengthen the praise of your name inside of our lives and inside of the life of this body. Oh, Father, 
Please help this church truly to be a glory to Christ. And for how you will work in us tonight, how you will work in us in the coming days and months and years, we give you all of our thanks and praise in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.